magnify him this morning. Give honor to him. Lift up a voice of praise to him. He truly is worthy. I said he truly is worthy. He's the only true and living God. Beside him there is no other. He is clothed in splendor, wrapped in light. And to catch but just a glimpse of the fullness of who he is, how awe-inspiring, how amazing to know the God, the omnipotent one, the omniscient one, the omnipresent one, the one who's always there, who always sees, who always hears. He's worthy of praise. He's worthy of our adoration. Amen. God bless you. It is good to see each and every one of you here at the Pentecostals this morning. So glad you're able to be in the house of the Lord with us. If you will turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll take our text from there. As you're turning, we do have a praise report we would like to share with you. We want to thank you for your prayers for Norman Christian. This is one of my uncles, one of my mom's brother-in-laws. We prayed for him last week and want to thank you for that. He had his uh, surgery for the bladder cancer, and they think they got it all. And so he's home recovering. So just keep praying for God to strengthen him and help him through his recovery. Thank you so much for the faith that you put in your prayers for him. As I said, God is worthy. God is worthy text this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 31. But covet earnestly, somebody say earnestly, the best gifts. And yet, somebody say yet, show I unto you a more excellent way. Would you lift up your voice with me and Ask the Lord to speak to us today through his word. Thank you for your word today. We know that it is anointed. It is words breathed by the God who made all things seen and unseen. I'm asking today that you would help me to deliver your word. Let it speak to our hearts. Let it pierce through our minds and get deep into our understanding, deep into our revelation channel, Lord, where you could show us something perhaps that we've never seen before where you could challenge us today where you could change us today so we'd leave different than we came so that we would in our lives each and every day bring more glory to you we ask it in jesus name amen god bless you you can be seated Our text today is found at the end of Paul's exposition on what is commonly called the nine gifts of the Spirit. We'll talk about that more just a little in a few moments. But to give some context, this text, this letter that we take our text from is a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. It's important to know 
the context of Scripture, whether you're listening to a sermon or a Bible study or whether you're reading your Bible on your own at home, it's important that you understand who it's being written to. Paul encouraged young Timothy to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. To rightly divide the word of truth requires that we understand to whom the text was written. If you are a new student of the Bible, it would be helpful for you to know that the 66 books which make up the Bible are not placed in sequential chronological order, but rather they are grouped together by the type of writing each book is. You can buy Bibles today that are in chronological order. And I'm going to tell you, growing up on church pews, it, it never really clicked for me until I went through the Bible in chronological order. It started to make a whole lot more sense. And so I encourage you to do that. In fact, uh, we've been putting a lot of emphasis on the Word of God recently. We have for you uh, to take advantage of for next year bread charts. How many have ever heard of the bread Bible reading program? Bible reading enriches any day. We have bread charts that you can use. They uh, go through the Old and New Testament simultaneously. Um, those are free for you to pick up and to use and to take advantage of next year. We also have what they have recently put out, the Bread Bible. Now, the Bread Chart does not follow chronological order, but the Bread Bible is in chronological order, and it's already broken down each day, your Bible reading for that day. It'll take you through the Scriptures in one year, and you'll read it in chronological order. And man, that's going to make a world of difference. If you've never done it, I encourage you to do that. The Bread Bibles are for sale, $20. Uh, we'll cover the cost of the purchase and the shipping to get them here and we'll have those available after service. So if you'd like to grab one of those, please stop by after service and take advantage of that. Be prepared for next year's Bible reading. But if you're a new student to the Bible, it's important that you understand how the Bible, the traditional Bible, is uh, categorized, how it's laid out from Genesis through Revelation. For starters, there is the Old Testament, which contains 39 books, which were all written prior to the birth of Jesus Christ. So these would be B.C. books, before Christ. Then there are 27 books in the New Testament, all of which were written after the birth of Christ. Those would be A.D. books. The Old Testament begins with five books known as the Pentateuch, commonly called the Law of Moses. Those are followed by 12 books of Israel's history, which are followed by five books of poetry. Once you get past the five books of poetry... The remainder of the Old Testament's books are books written by prophets. These are sometimes further broken down, categorized as major prophets and minor prophets, solely based on the amount of text written, not the importance of the text. So the larger books written by prophets are called major prophets. The smaller books written by prophets are minor prophets. Then we get to the New Testament. The New Testament begins with the four Gospels. Accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, including his teachings, his miracles, and his death, burial, and resurrection. The four Gospels are followed by the book of Acts, which is the only history book in the New Testament. It records the beginning of the New Testament church. It records the spreading of the gospel around the known world by the apostles and other believers. After the book of Acts, from the book of Romans all the way through the book of Jude, we have letters, epistles, 
that were written to groups of New Testament believers. These letters are written to people who've already been born again of water and of spirit. These letters are written to teach them how to behave, not get saved. In the book of Acts, we find how to get saved. We find that gospel message being preached that launches churches in various cities and towns. And then the letters help teach them how to live in a way that will glorify God. We often say that these churches are written in New Testament, or these letters are written in New Testament churches, though they may not have had and quite often did not have a church building like we have. They often met in their houses and in other places within their towns and cities, but we call them letters to churches because they were letters written to a body of believers. And then the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, is considered a book of prophecy of end-time events. And so as you read through Scripture, you need to understand who those texts are written to, what type of book you're reading. You don't need to go to uh, one of the epistles and think you're finding a salvation message on how to be born again. It's not there. Confess with your mouth and you'll be saved. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's written to, new, that's written to believers. That's not written to sinners. You need to know that because a lot of churches, and I'm not bashing any particular church, but a lot of churches will tell you that that's how you get saved. Not realizing that that book or that, that verse was written to the saints that dwell at Rome, not to the sinners that dwell at Rome. It is important to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we do that? That's what's important. How do I believe? How do I get saved? And then how do I behave? That's important as well. And so our text today is written, or is written to a church of believers. Our text is, is to people who are already saved. And Paul begins this letter to the church or the body of believers at Corinth by saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 7, he gives us a little bit of information about this church when he writes, I thank my God always on your behalf. For the grace of God, which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Verse 7, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our text was written to apostolic believers in Corinth who excelled in all utterance and in all knowledge and who came behind in no gift. It was to these gifted apostolic believers that Paul penned the words, but covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet, show I unto you a more excellent way. Now, if you're an apostolic believer, meaning you believe that what the apostles preached and taught is what we still should believe, what we still should preach and teach, what we still should live, then it's real obvious that this message today is for you because the text was written to believers. But even if you're not a believer, even if you've not been born again of water and of spirit, I believe that today's message will help you live a better life. It will teach you to live a more excellent way. If you're not sure there is a God, if you don't believe there's anything beyond this passing vapor you call life, if you will grab a hold of today's message, it will help you live a more excellent life life. Now, you may not reap the maximum benefit. I'm going to be honest with you. If you choose to remain an unbeliever, you won't get the maximum benefit from today's message. 
but you'll glean more than enough to make it worth your time to be here or to tune in online. So regardless of where you are currently living on the vast spectrum of faith, today I hope to show you a more excellent way. A more excellent way of thinking. A more excellent way of seeing your world. A more excellent way of building relationships. A more excellent way of pursuing your goals. A more excellent way of achieving success. A more excellent way of finding significance. A more excellent way of discovering purpose. A more excellent way of developing intentionality in your life. A more excellent way to pursue personal growth and development. A more excellent way of contributing to society. A more excellent way of giving back to your community. A more excellent way to build a business or a career. A more excellent way to establish long-term security for you and your family. A more excellent way, in a nutshell, to build a life. A more excellent way to build a better you. We'll begin by briefly looking at what Paul had written leading up to our text. Our text was the last verse in chapter 12. As a new student of the Bible, you may want to know that chapters and verses weren't part of the original breakdown. Those who translated, those who interpreted, put that there for our benefit so we can easily point you to the text. And, and you can break it down and you can read it section by section. And they tried to break it down in chunks that make sense. And sometimes, though, you got to go past the end of that chapter into the next one to get the full effect. Sometimes you might have to go back the chapter before to get the full effect. So you need to know that the chapters and verses, that's there just to make it easier for you. Wasn't there in the original writings. But Paul, he opens chapter 12 by saying, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. In other words, Paul is expressing his sincere desire that the reader, those in Corinth and us today, would understand the purpose, the source, the function of the spiritual gifts God has placed within the body of Christ, the church. As we read on through the chapter in verses 4 through 6, Paul brings to the attention of the reader that there are diversities of gifts. There are diversities of administrations. There are diversities of operations, but it's the same God who's doing the work. In verse 7, Paul clearly states the purpose of all spiritual gifts when he writes, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. The New Living Translation reads this way, A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. The NIV, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The purpose of the manifestation of the Spirit through the operation and demonstration of spiritual gifts is solely to profit the whole body of believers. The gifts of the Spirit, when they manifest, is not to bring glory to the conduit. Hello. The manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit is not to signify individual spirituality. It does not validate spiritual maturity. God let a donkey speak in the Old Testament to accomplish his will. I'm pretty sure he's done it a few times in the New Testament. 
The gifts of the Spirit are manifested to profit the body, to edify the body, to build up the body, to encourage the body. There's no gift given for your benefit unless it's given to somebody else. There's often times that men who operate in the gift of faith, that's one of the giftings God's put in their ministry, they pray for people to get healed and people get healed and they're sicker than the person they prayed for. Because that gift's not for them. It's for the benefit of the rest of the body. And so we need to understand the purpose of gifts. Gifts are important. God put them in the church for a reason. And so Paul's giving us some instruction here. And he's saying the only reason the gifts were given, the only reason they ever manifest is for the profit of the entire body. In verses 8 through 10 of chapter 12, Paul clearly identifies the gifts of the Spirit his teaching relates to. He breaks them down. He lists them out. He talks about the revelatory gifts or the gifts of revelation, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, the discerning of spirits. And I'm not digging into these today. These are an entirely different message, an entirely different uh, sermon or Bible study. We don't have time to dig into them, but we're identifying them. There's the gifts of power, the gift of faith, the working of miracles, the gifts of healing. There are the utterance gifts, prophecy, diverse kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. And when you read through the New Testament, you need to realize there's three different types of tongues talked about in the New Testament. There's the initial evidence or sign that you've received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's one tongue. There's the gift of diverse kinds of tongues talked about here. And then there's the gift of tongues that's for your own personal conversation with God to allow God's Spirit to intercede and speak through you because you don't always know what you need to pray about. There'll be times in a service you'll see the MC or the minister up here leading, leading and encouraging, and then they begin to speak in tongues. That's not a tongue that needs to be interpreted. That's them trying to tap into the flow of the Holy Ghost and allow the Spirit of God to make intercession and release in the service what needs to be released. So you need to understand there's different tongues. Not all have the gift of diverse kinds of tongues, but every New Testament believer had the gift of tongues that was the initial sign that you received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And every New Testament believer should develop the ability to yield to the Spirit of God to allow the Spirit to make intercession in that prayer tongue, so to speak. And so, But here Paul's talking about diverse kinds of tongues. That's a specific manifestation of the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. That tongue demands interpretation of tongues. Otherwise, it didn't benefit the body. And the gifts are there to benefit the body. In verse 11... Paul writes, but all these worketh that one and self-same spirit, reemphasizing different manifestations. It goes through different people, but it's the same spirit that's working. Then he says, dividing to every man severally as he will. This lets us know that it's possible. Somebody say possible. It is possible for a believer to be used in the manifestation of several gifts of the spirit. This could happen at different times, different services, different gatherings, or it can happen in one single service or gathering. I've relayed this perhaps with many of you through the years, but I remember as a young man, uh, probably 20 or 21 years of age, back around 1997, 1998, a man of God, 
He pastored in South Bend, Indiana. He would come to the church we attended there in Smithfield at the time and preach a couple of times a year. And uh, I only remember the timeline because my brother and I were working together for my uncle at the time. And so after the service, we were on the job talking about the service. And uh, as we talked, we uh, shared with one another the gifts of the Spirit that we saw operate in this man's ministry in that one service, and he was used in all nine gifts in one service. Now, it wasn't for his benefit. It wasn't for his glory. If you knew the man, it was uh, Pastor Robert Johnson, sweet man of God, humble, and, but he was sensitive enough. He was yielded enough. He was in the flow of the Spirit enough that God used him in all nine gifts of the Spirit in one service. That doesn't happen all the time. But it lets you know it's possible. But the Bible does teach us that God desires that we would have gifts of the Spirit and that the gifts of the Spirit would operate. In verses 12 through 25 of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul emphasizes that we may be many members, but we are one body of believers. We may serve in different roles and different uh, capacities of offices or responsibilities, but we're all important to the overall health and growth and function of the body of Christ. The eye shouldn't say to the ear, I don't need you. The hand shouldn't say to the foot, I don't need you. It doesn't matter which part of the body you are, what member of the body you are. What's important is that you are part of the body and you are healthy, you are growing, and therefore you're contributing to the overall health and growth of the body. And so Paul emphasizes that. Took more verses to emphasize that than he did to express the gifts. Then in verse 26, Paul writes, And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. This verse reminds me of Romans chapter 12, verse 15, that says rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. That's part of the benefit of being a part of the body of Christ and not being off like an island unto yourself. And clearly I didn't know everything that was going to line up when God was putting this message in my heart. But just this week, we have wept with those that weep as Brother Marshall Tyler laid his mother to rest, who passed on, a godly woman, going on to her reward, but it doesn't hurt any less when it's your mom. Knowing that she's with Jesus and knowing that she doesn't have to go through any kind of suffering anymore is great, but the heart still hurts. We're a little selfish in that way. We care about how it affects us. And so I I know I saw many of you at the funeral home on Friday night and Uh, Thank you for being there, and not everyone can make it. I understand that. You had work. You have other responsibilities. We can't always be there in person, but in spirit, we suffered with Brother Marshall as he suffered through the loss of his mother. And Then this afternoon, we'll rejoice with Brother Josh Martinez and Sister Alexis Hinkle as they get married. And again, we can't all be there because wedding venues only hold so many people. Not that they don't want us all there. It's just not possible. But we're able to be there in spirit in our heart Join with them, rejoicing, celebrating for this wonderful step in their life. That's part of the benefit of being part of the body. Verse 28, Paul writes, And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. reason I highlight this verse, he lists out gifts that weren't part of what he was talking about earlier in the chapter, but these are also gifts. We know the ministry is a gift to the church to 
build up the church, to perfect the, the saints so that they can do the work of the ministry. But it also lists out helps, governments, administration. These are also gifts. And in verses 29 and 30, Paul acknowledges we don't have all the same giftings. We don't all fit and feel the exact same role within the church. But verse 31, after listing all of this out, he challenges this church that he said come behind and no gift, covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet, show I unto you a more excellent way. The Corinthian church was comprised of apostolic believers who believed in apostolic doctrine and apostolic demonstration. And you're in a church today of apostolic believers who believe in apostolic doctrine and apostolic demonstration. We worship God in spirit and in truth. In spirit. That's apostolic demonstration. That's gifts of the spirit operating. We don't always acknowledge when the gifts of the spirit are operating. Tongues and interpretation, everybody kind of sees that one. But the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, you don't always see that. The discerning of spirits, you don't always recognize when that's taking place. Even at times, we don't recognize when prophecy is taking place. But we believe and we worship God in spirit, allowing and seeking that his spirit would lead us and guide us through services so that there's apostolic demonstration, gifts of the spirit operating. And we worship him in truth. We still believe the apostolic message. We believe if the apostles taught it, if the apostles preached it, we should teach it and we should preach it. We believe if the early church lived it, we should live it. Though the Corinthian church came behind in no gift, Paul also wrote this about the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as to unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? Wait, carnal? But they excelled in gifts. They came behind in no gifts. But they're carnal? Again, being gifted does not equal being spiritual. Being talented does not equal being anointed. Thank God for gifts. Thank God for talent. But what we need is to be spiritual. What we need is to be anointed. Because we can't accomplish in talent. We can't accomplish just through giftings what needs to be done. It requires the Spirit of God operating. It requires us to develop some spiritual maturity. And it requires that we yield and allow God to anoint what we're doing. Because it's the anointing that breaks chains and destroys yokes. It's the anointing that transforms. As a collective whole, the Corinthians were powerful in the gifts of the Spirit, yet they were still carnal. Being used in the gifts does not mean they're spiritual. Yet we, we see somebody be used when it's obvious and it's evident, like, oh man, I wish I could be used like that. They must be spiritual. They must have a closer walk with God than I have. No, they've learned to yield. That's it. Again, God spoke through a donkey in the Old Testament. Pretty sure he can do it now. But the whole, the, the collective, they were powerful in gifts, yet they were carnal. We know that the whole is made up of the parts, and each part, each member is important to the healthy growth of the whole. The reason they were carnal 
is because as a whole and as individuals, they were not yet spiritually mature. Paul hints at this early in the letter in chapter 1 and verse 10 where he writes, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. He's pointing here to the importance of unity, of wholeness. He's pointing to the oneness of the body of Christ. He's trying to turn their attention back to the oneness, to the unity of the church and away from the individualism, the division that was the result of their carnality. We have a great group of believers here at the Pentecostals of Fuquay. I'm going to tell you that. I don't, I don't back away from saying that. I believe our church is on par with any church on the planet and above many. And yes, I'll be accused by some people sounding like that's prideful. It's not prideful because I'm not taking any credit. I'm not seeking any glory, and I'm not giving it to you. I'm pointing to the God who's working in your life and, and pointing to the fact that you have a sincerity of heart and you're seeking after it. That's not prideful because we don't take credit for it. We acknowledge that it's God working, and he ain't finished yet. As great of a group of believers as we are, have here, we are not a perfect church. We're not a picture of perfection. We're not flawless. We don't always get it right. That may shock some of you. We make mistakes. We come up short. We miss the mark. We fail. We disappoint. We frustrate. Am I right or am I right? Just being honest, this church is not perfect, but it's a great church to belong to. The Corinthians, they weren't perfect. They had some room for growth. They had some areas they needed to improve. That's why Paul wrote the letter. But it was a great church to belong to if you lived in Corinth. We have room for growth here, yes. We have room for improvement. There's some areas that we need to, to get a little stronger in. But this is a great church to belong to if you live in or around the Fuquay area. After Paul expounded on the spiritual gifts, their source, their purpose, their function, he challenges the reader to seek the best gifts. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that I think prophecy is the best gift and you think the working of miracles is the best gift. So I pray God use me in prophecy and you pray God use you in the working of miracles. That's not necessarily what it means. What it more likely means is desire, covet after the gift that's best for the moment. Because sometimes prophecy is what's needed in the moment, but sometimes it's the working of miracles that's needed. We need the best gift to operate, right? So he says, covet earnestly, seek after it. It's important. We need gifts of the Spirit. So seek that God would use us and, and release the gift that's most appropriate for the moment, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. We love reading about the miracles, the signs, and the wonders. We love hearing about that apostolic authority and apostolic power, and that's important. And yet, Paul says there's something that's more important. There's something that, a way that we can live and operate that is more excellent than being used in the gifts of the Spirit. And what follows this statement is commonly referred to as the love chapter of the Bible. This chapter is often used in weddings and in marriage seminars. The King James Version of the Bible uses the word charity, but most other translations use the word love. Nine times in 13 verses, the word is used. Nine times in 13 verses, he talks about love. 
And he starts off talking about, yeah, I could speak with tongues of men and of angels. I could have the gift of prophecy. I could understand all mysteries, all knowledge. If I have all faith so that I can move mountains, if I don't have love, I am and I have nothing. And then Paul describes love as it ought to be. As you read through 1 Corinthians 13, you won't see Paul writing about feelings, sensations, or passions. Paul speaks of love by describing attitudes and actions. Because love's not a feeling, love is a choice. Love's not emotional sensationalism. Love is a decision to act and react in a certain way. And so Paul says love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable, keeps no record of wrong. Do we need to have the altar call right now? Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. And Paul concludes the chapter by saying love will last forever. Gifts, they'll go away one day. Gifts will cease. Whether it's prophecy, tongues, it'll all cease one day. But he said there's three things that will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Love is the more excellent way, not a feelings-based love, not a sensational kind of love or even a love that is fueled by passions, but love that acts like the love described by Paul, love that reflects the attitudes described by Paul. That kind of love is superior to all spiritual gifts. That kind of love is superior to talent and ability. It's love that is others-based, not self-serving. When we talk about love and view love as a feeling, an emotion, a sensation, something we're passionate about, when we look at love in that light, that's self-serving. That's about me, 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 me. Because when that feeling leaves, guess what happens? Marriage is in and divorce. Hello? When we view love as sensations, this feeling of passionate desire when it fades because difficulties show up, because hard times come, because life slaps you in the face, that's when we see marriages end in divorce. That's when we see people say, well, I just don't love them anymore. No, what you don't have is the same sensation you had. What you don't have is the same passion you had, and you're choosing not to love because love is a choice. Love is an action. Love is an attitude. And I can choose to love you even when I don't feel it. And I think we all have some people in our life we choose to love even when we don't like. Just a little transparency. There's times my wife says, I love you, but I don't like you right now. And if I'm honest, I'm like, I don't blame you. (laughs) I don't like me a whole lot right now either. (laughs) But we're talking about A biblical love. Paul said the more excellent way is not a humanistic love. It is a biblical, godly love. A love that chooses to react 
properly, a love that chooses to act in a certain way. It's love that shows up when one of your dearest relatives passes away. It's love that shows up on your wedding day. It's love that is there when you bring your newborn baby home. It's love that is there when your heart is broken by a tragic miscarriage. It's love that celebrates your recent job promotion with you. It's love that assists you through a job loss. It's love that is steadfast through life's highs and lows. That love is the more excellent way. That love is what the church of the living God, the body of Christ, is meant to exemplify to one another and to the world around us because they're not going to find it out there. Hello. They're not going to find this kind of love in culture, in society, in Hollywood, in entertainment, in politics. They're not going to find it. What they find there is hatred, division, trying to set one kind of person against another kind of person. Whether that's race, ideology, lifestyle, all they want to do is divide. But God wants to unite because we're one body. And I don't care about the color of your skin. I don't care what your native language is. If you're a believer, you're my brother, you're my sister, and I love you. I don't have to know everything about you to love you. I don't have to like everything about your personality to love you. And you don't have to like everything about my personality. Some of y'all like, thank God, because I was wondering about that. I've been struggling with that one. I've been praying that he would change you. <laughs> Why? Why this message? Why today? Why the recent emphasis on reprioritizing the word of God in our life? Why the sermon, his word is life? Why the sermon, word above all? Why the sermon, by the truth? Perhaps it is the spirit of the Lord Drawing us to a deeper commitment to be what we see in Scripture. Perhaps it's the Spirit compelling us to lay aside distractions and move beyond just a superficial surface level spirituality. Maybe it's the Spirit trying to draw us beyond apostolic demonstration and power. That's important. It's part of the church. It's part of His plan. It's part of His blueprint. But there is a more excellent way that He desires to see in us. Perhaps it is the Spirit calling us to a deep water experience. It's those that go out into deep waters that see His wonders. Perhaps it is the watchman on the wall preparing us for something that's out on the horizon. I'm not privy to God's timeline of events any more than anyone else, but I see things happening in our world that have my antenna up, so to speak. If you hunt, you, you know that moment when you go to move and get in position, all of a sudden that pray you're hunting perks up their ears something in their environment something in their surroundings saying wait a minute i sense something something not right here i sense a little danger i sense a shift in the atmosphere now i've not had a prophetic revelatory vision laying out a calendar of events leading up to the exact day and time that the lord jesus christ will return and if i ever claim to run jesus said no man knows the day or the hour of the return of the Son of Man. But I do know what Scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, it says, This know also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Not might come, not it's a slight possibility, but it shall come. 
For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent or without self-control, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. From culture that seeks to divide, turn away. From culture that says if it feels good, do it, turn away. From culture that says it's okay to love who you want to love even if it's an unnatural affection, turn away. From a culture that says you should be proud of who you are even if you are living in unholy and ungodliness, from such, turn away. People that are disobedient to their parents, people that disrespect their parents, don't be like them, turn away from that. If they're unthankful, turn away from that. Don't be like that. Scripture warns of perilous times, of hardships, of adversity. And Scripture gives us indicators to know when such times are approaching. There'll be wars and rumors of wars, pestilence, famines, earthquakes. Hello? Have you been reading your newspapers? Have you been reading the news headlines online? Now, do you think he just threw that in there so we would know? Or do you think he gave us that warning for a reason? I mean, when he gave Pharaoh his dreams about the scrawny little cows eating up the fat cows and the withered corn ears eating up the healthy corn ears, was it just so he would know? I'm pretty sure it was so he could prepare for it. Because if you know bad times are coming and you don't prepare, you're a fool. I mean, you're going to stand before God and be like, well, you know, I just assumed you were going to do the same as you did in the children of children of Israel in the wilderness and rain down some manna every day for me. Um, that wasn't his plan, in case you didn't know that. His plan was to take them straight into the promised land. It's because of their rebellion and disobedience that he had to start bringing such provision. But he gave warning to Pharaoh so that they could prepare. And so it's up to you to prepare. We always talk about preparing for retirement, right? Well, what about perilous times? What are you doing to prepare for perilous times? What are you doing for the day when true persecution shows up in America? If you go on in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we read in verse 12 through 17, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Again, it wasn't a might. It was a shall. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Again, are you reading the headlines? Are you watching what's going on in our world? But he tells Timothy, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. He said, study the word, know the word, cherish the word, because it's the scriptures that will prepare you for what's coming. Paul's admonition that we read to walk in the more excellent way is part of the doctrine, the reproof, the correction, the instruction that we need to know, to love, and to live. 
Paul wrote in Galatians 5.14, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He goes on to list the works of the flesh we should remove from our lives, and then he lists the fruit of the Spirit that we ought to be actively developing, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Galatians 6, 1 and 2, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, can't do this if you're carnal, but if you're spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself. He said this to somebody spiritual. Consider thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6 and 10, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto them, unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. He said do good to everyone, but if you're going to do good to anyone, it should be those of the household of faith because it should mean something, even in 2023, to say I'm a Christian. It should mean something to say I belong to the Pentecostals. And if we're doing it right, it does. Hello. If we're doing it right, it means something to be a part of this church. And I'm not talking about signed membership. I don't care if you sign membership or not, but if you're a part of this church and you're here on a consistent basis and you're trying to contribute and you're also being blessed by it, it should mean something to say, I belong to the Pentecostals. <laughs> signed membership is a formality for government. And it's necessary for you know, situations that require a majority decision from the group, but for the most part, signing that paper doesn't make a big difference in your walk with God. But when we read in our Bible about those early believers, we should do our best to reflect what we read. When we read about miracle signs and wonders in the early church, we should see and hear about miracle signs and wonders in 2023. That's why we have a Miracle Sunday every year. That's why testimonies pour in. Even this morning, we had a praise report because we still believe in miracles, signs, and wonders. We read about the early church sending out missionaries like Paul, Barnabas, Silas, John Mark, then the church of 2023 should be sending out missionaries to preach the gospel in new areas. So go buy Missions Coffee and get you a cup. Free advertisement. You're welcome. I don't care if you don't like coffee. Go get hot chocolate. If you don't like that, get some hot tea or some apple cider. There's something in there you can drink. And pray for our missionaries while you're in there. We read about the early church believers living a holy, separated life from the world. Then the church of 2023 should still live a holy, separated life from the world. Amen. The gospel of the new birth that the apostles preached, that we read in Scripture, well, that should be the gospel of the new birth that we're preaching today. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And if we're doing it right, then this is still the message of salvation. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift 
of the Holy Ghost, and you'll know you got it because you'll speak with tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Just like they did in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Just like they did in Acts chapter 10, verse 46. Just like they did in Acts chapter 19, verse 6. That's a must. You can't even be in the Jesus said you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again of water and of spirit. We're not perfect here at the Pentecostals. We're sincerely seeking to mirror the church we read about in the Bible. Yes, I'm confident there's room for improvement. I know there's areas we need to do better. But the only way to identify where we can improve is to go back to the book. Look at the original pattern. Does this church look like what I read in my Bible? When we continue in Acts chapter 2, it says they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Are you still in the Word? Or are you fellowshipping with other believers? And in breaking of bread and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house. That sounds like they didn't wait for fellowship night to get together. Did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. What do I see in Scripture? What do I see in my church? We're one body with many members. So the real question then is what do I see in my life that brings what I see in Scripture to my church? We're all at different stages of our spiritual journey. We all have different areas we may need to improve. But I promise you from the pulpit to the pew, from the eldest to the youngest, we all have something we can do better. So the question today as you stand with me is where can you improve? Where can I improve? Ask yourself where. What can I do today? What can I do this week? What can I do this month to go the more excellent way? Could I set aside feelings and choose to act in love even when I don't feel like it? Can I choose to be there to weep with someone who is hurting? Can I be there to rejoice with someone who's celebrating? Could I give to someone who's in need, even if it means I got to delay something I was wanting for myself? Because there's gifts, there's talent that God develops in people and that's great and that's necessary that's part of being the church that's bringing that into the kingdom and offering us as ministry to one another is important but he said it doesn't matter how many gifts you have doesn't matter how much talent you have if you don't have this kind of love you have nothing you just it doesn't matter how great you sing how talented your vocals are if you don't have love you just like a clanging cymbal, making a bunch of noise. Doesn't matter. So today, we're going to give you an opportunity this morning to come to the front and to start asking, Lord, what can I do, me, to live out this excellent way that you've called me to? What can I do to make sure I'm not being prejudiced, I'm not being biased, I'm not avoiding people because they're different than me? Come on, if they come to church with you, 
they, they're here seeking after God like you, what difference could possibly stand in the way of loving, of trying to be a blessing, of trying to be a help, trying to be of service? Because there's not going to be divisions in heaven. If you make it through the pearly gate, there's not going to be a corner for us American speakings. We say English, but we know good and well we don't speak English. You hear how they talk? That's not how I talk. There's not going to be another part of heaven, another little community over here for those that speak Spanish, for those that speak Chinese, or those that speak Russian, Portuguese. There's one heaven. There's one creator, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. So as we come this morning, we're examining the way that we're taking. We're examining the life that we're living. We're examining the attitudes that we are displaying. We're examining the reactions that we are giving to circumstances, to people. If you've never been born of water and of spirit, you're coming and saying, well, I want to be born again. If you've never repented of your sins, then you come and you ask God to forgive you for all the ungodly, unholy things you've done. He's faithful and just. He went to the cross so that you could have forgiveness. He ascended back into heaven so that he could pour out his spirit and you could have his spirit in you. He desires that you would have it. It's a gift. You have an opportunity today. The question is, what will you do with the opportunity God's given you today? What will you do with the word you've heard today? What will you do with the challenge that the Spirit of God has put in your heart today.